Open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 12. If you're new to our church or if you're new to Fort Thomas, we've been going through the book of Romans as a church. And we've been going through the book of Romans for a couple of years now, actually. We'll uh, go a few weeks, uh, uh, several weeks at a time, and then we'll take a break. And on the whole, it's been about two or three years now. I don't think anybody knows how long it's been. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but we find ourselves in the book of Romans in chapter 12. And after sharing all of the amazing truths that are in chapters 1 through 11... What we're going to see is Paul makes a heavy turn toward application, toward practical instruction for us. So in light of all of these things that we see in the first 11 chapters, how should we respond? You know, it's not enough for us as believers to simply know these things that Paul's gone over in the first 11 chapters. A professor of mine, Bruce Ware, said, your theology, your knowledge of God needs to move from your head to your heart, to your hands. Chapters 1 through 11 are full of amazing truths. We're going to look at some of those. But if they don't move from your heart to your hands, then it's not being completed. The work that the, that the truth of the Bible is supposed to be doing is not being completed. It's not enough for us to think about these things and love these things. We have to act on these things. We understand? Okay, good. Um, one of the ways, like Peter said, that I'm privileged to be able to serve here at Grace is I'm one of the counselors on the counseling team. And one of the things that I've seen is not just here, but as I've worked with people over the years, people really know their Bibles really well. And they come for counseling. They need help. They have a specific issue in their life that they haven't been able to get over. And I ask them Bible questions and stories, and they know it. And more people than not, have a real desire for the word to understand it, and they love it. I, I don't think I've had somebody come in and say, I, I'm struggling with this sin, and I like it. I want to keep going. They don't say that. They say, I'm struggling with this, and I don't want to be doing it. And what I've found is people know the word and love the word, but they don't know how to implement the word with their struggles. Does that make sense? All right, I'm going to ask, does that make sense? You got to give me some feedback because, all right, I'm a teacher and I love teaching and I love knowing you're here. Don't fall asleep on me, okay? All right, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Let's read. Paul says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So Paul starts right at the top. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, right? Pastor Brad has done a really good job of explaining to us that when you see therefore, Paul's referring back to something and something new is coming that we need to listen to. Based on everything that I've said in these last 11 chapters, I make this appeal to you, okay? That's what Paul is getting us to, he wants us to hear. He wants to hear what's coming. Listen to some of the more popular verses from the book of Romans. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. The first 11 chapters are filled with amazing, amazing truths. Good grief for all our sin, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's huge. But what do you do about it? He doesn't tell us right there. So Paul's taking 11 chapters worth of truth and he's saying, listen to me. Listen to everything I just said. I'm going to tell you what to do with that now. Okay? When he says, I appeal to you, brothers, this isn't him making some lighthearted request. Hey, if you feel like it, Mr. Reem, listen to what I'm saying. That's not what he's saying. He's speaking with authority. Okay? This is truth coming from God that you need to hear because you need to apply it. 
So Paul says, therefore, in light of all these things through the first 11 chapters, he makes an appeal. What does he appeal to? He says in verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. If you know who Paul is, Paul had plenty of experience and Paul had plenty of credentials to come up on our stage and go, hi, I'm Paul, and we should listen, knowing who he is and where he came from. Okay? In Philippians, he tells them, I was a Jew circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee. He was a zealot. This guy was the cream of the crop when it comes to religious people. And he had every right he, would have, he could have wanted to say, listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. But he doesn't. He doesn't. He appeals to the mercies of God. Turn to Romans chapter 6. I want to give you a little bit of insight to what I'm up against right now. Paul wrote 11 chapters of Romans, 11 chapters of mercies, and it's taken Brad, Pastor Brad, three years to get through 11 chapters. And I'm about to summarize that for you in about a minute. (laughs) We need to understand these mercies. They're important. But we don't have three more years to cover them all. So I chose this passage kind of as a summary, so we can get a big picture idea of what those mercies are. Chapter 6, verse 20. Paul says this, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin... And have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? If you're here this morning, you're not keen on church, this isn't something you're normally doing, you're visiting with us, welcome, okay? I want to lay the foundation for you and for all of us that Paul is starting from. He's appealing to the mercies of God. Those mercies, what are those mercies? Here's my summary of Romans 1 through 11 in a minute. Paul says that when you look outside and you see the trees and you see the mountains, you see the stars, something inside of you says that there is a God. You You look at the complexity of your hand and all the muscles that it takes to open and close your hand And you don't think, wow, random chance, right? You don't look at creation and the complexity that's there and automatically think, oh, this came from nothing. Something inside of you says, something made this. Someone made this. And Paul says that we reject that truth. We know, we see, and we choose to reject. And because we reject and because we act of our own volition... We're guilty of sin. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But this is God's mercy, that even though we're sinners, even though we're disobedient, He made a way for us to be freed from our sin. We owed a debt because of our sin. And God made a way to pay that debt. We don't have to pay it anymore. Jesus has paid that debt. How do you get your debt paid? By submitting yourself to Jesus. This is what God has done for us. Believers, if you're here, so often I think we take this for granted. I'll tell you, nothing will change how you sing songs like having to preach a sermon. (laughs) That was fun. But... Man, it makes me appreciate that I'm saved and that God's truth is true and that I don't have to be responsible for that. He is saving people. He is doing work and we have been the recipients of his grace. Amen? This is the mercy that Paul is talking about. You were dead in your sin and if you die in this life, dead in your sin, you're going to hell. But Jesus can change that for you. Jesus can save you from eternal condemnation. This is the mercy 
that Paul is talking about. Go back to the end of chapter 11, right before where we started. Chapter 11, verse 33. Paul says this, after 11 chapters of amazing truth of the mercies of God, this is his response. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Rhetorical questions, right? No one. No one knows the mind of the Lord. Verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. This is Paul's visceral response to the 11 chapters that he just wrote. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So then he goes on to show us here in chapter 12 that our understanding of the mercies of God should push us toward action. What kind of action? Look at verse 1. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This word bodies that he uses here, it means everything that you are. It's not just your skin. It's not just your flesh. It's your body, your heart, your mind. The faculties that you use to feel and to experience life is included in this word. There's another word in the Bible that he uses to describe just, your, just the skin, just the bag of dirt that we walk around in. That word is sarks. That's not the word he uses here. He uses the word soma. Everything that you are. Your feelings, your opinions, and your desires. All of it. And he tells us to present that in a certain way. So what are we presenting our bodies as? Right there at the, verse one, at the end of verse 1, he tells us, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Take a moment and answer this question for yourself. What do you sacrifice in your life? What do you sacrifice? I took a poll of my digital friends, and the responses that I got were along these lines. Time, sleep, personal freedom, spontaneity. I had parents respond and say, I sacrifice a lot of time and a lot of sleep, right, for my children because I love them, and that's what parents do. When Paul is writing to these people and he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, they didn't think time, sleep, money. I want us to understand what they thought when they heard this word. So turn all the way back to Leviticus chapter 4. This is important. There's a gravity behind Paul telling them to be a sacrifice. If we don't understand the gravity, then I think we lose part of what Paul is communicating. Leviticus chapter 4, I'm going to kind of skim through it, but this is what we see. Background information here. God has instituted a system of sacrifices, okay? He's established the people. He says, now, this is what worship is for you guys. There's sacrifices that are in place for the forgiveness of sin. There's sacrifices that are in place of food, and of all these different sacrifices. There's a whole system. Sometimes you do it on the first of the month. Sometimes you do it, uh, you know, on the 10th day of the month. Sometimes you do it once a year. He has a whole system in place. I just want to look at this one. In chapter 4, he says this, verse 4. He shall bring the bull to the entrance. Side note. Look at the imagery of this, okay? Just imagine the picture of what's going on. He shall bring the bull to the entrance of the tent. He's speaking of the priest before the Lord, and lay his hand on the head of the bull and kill the bull before the Lord. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle part of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of the fragrant incense before the Lord, and all the rest of the blood he shall pour out on the base of the altar. And all of the fat of the bull he shall remove from it, and the two kidneys, and the fat that is on them, and the loins, and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys, and the priest shall burn them on the altar for a burnt offering. 
But the skin of the bull and its flesh with its head and its legs and its entrails and its dung, all of the rest of the bull, he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place and burn it up on a fire of wood. On the ash heap he shall burn it up. That's exactly my response, Kelly. She's looking at me like this. Huh? How gruesome of an image is that? Let me just go grab a bull. Let me, I'll, I'll do the example for you today. Let me go grab my bull, and I'm just going to put my hand on it and kill it. Are you kidding me? I know some people that go to the grocery store, and they're grossed out by the stuff that's in the ground beef packet. <laughs> I don't want to touch that. God has instituted this sacrificial system to make a point. The forgiveness of sin comes at a great great cost. These animals had to lose their lives so that the people that offered them could be freed from the forget, can be freed from their sins. Another thing that God was doing with the system is portraying Jesus who was to come. Go to Hebrews. Actually, let's save some time. Just listen to it. Hebrews chapter 9. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come through the greater and more perfect tent, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from the dead works to serve the living God? The animals that were sacrificed lost their life. If that system was still in place today, you would have to lose yours for your sins to be forgiven. But Jesus, the pure sacrifice, went to the cross for you and for me so that you don't have to lose your life. And that's what Paul is saying here in verse 1. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. In chapter 6, he told us, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. So as we continue in the verse, why do we do this? Why would we give up ownership of our thoughts and our feelings and our bodies to God? Paul says that this is the reasonable response to understanding God's mercies. Look at verse 1 again. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This word spiritual uh, in the ESV, if you have a reference Bible, if you look at the end of that verse, there's a footnote there and it actually says, or reasonable. Um, The word here that is used is logikos. And we get our word, kind of the idea that we get in English is logic. The definition is along the lines of pertaining to reason or logic. Uh, The New King James translation actually kept reasonable in there. And I think that's the more helpful understanding of this word for us. For this reason, look ahead to verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What Paul is describing to us here is a very intentional process, a very cerebral process. This is something that you do of your own volition, okay? Holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable worship. Let's paint this simple picture. If you owed the government a trillion dollars, and they said, if you can't pay it, we're going to imprison you. You're sitting before the the court. Today is your day of judgment. You owe more money than you can ever raise in your life. And I walk in, and I say, hey, here's a trillion dollars. I got it like that, right? (laughs) Here's a trillion dollars. That man is free. All I want from you, all I'm going to ask from you, is treat my wife well. How would you treat my wife? What is the reasonable response? To treat her well. Good grief. I gave you a trillion dollars. Could you not treat her well? Right? 
And what would we think if you shunned my wife and treated her poorly? That's unreasonable. Why? That doesn't make any sense. And what Paul is saying is if you understand the mercies of God, then presenting your body as a living sacrifice is reasonable worship. When you know how big the gospel is and the gravity of your sin that was forgiven, what else are you going to do? God, I'm yours. You saved me from death and hell. I'm yours. I'm here, Lord. I want to do your will. Use me as you would. What is our reasonable response? Offer your bodies holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship. The reason I went out of our way to look at sacrifice in Leviticus is this word worship has churchy, quote unquote, connotations. When you think of the word worship, what do you think? Sunday mornings, music, right? These people, when they heard worship, they would have thought of the sacrifices, the blood and the death and the gore. That's what they would have thought when they heard worship. And Paul is saying, that's gone. This is your spiritual worship now. Because of God's mercy, you don't have to sacrifice animals. You're alive. Give yourself to God. This is your worship. Okay? I think we've cheapened the word in our culture. We associate it with music. Who can blame you? The guy that stands up here every week is great, right? (laughs) His wife sounds like an angel singing up here. Can't blame you in that area. No, but we really have. We've cheapened it. Um, Paul is saying it's personal. This is your worship, is offering your body of your own volition. Um, He's telling us, present your bodies. He's not saying be dragged to the altar. He's not saying follow your friend to the altar. He's saying you, go, present your body of your own choice, of your own volition, as a sacrifice to God. So when we understand the mercies of God, offering our bodies as a sacrifice is our act of worship. Number two in your outline. This is, so what is our response? Paul is telling us, he's appealing to us to present our bodies. How do we respond? This is what he says in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. When Paul says, don't be conformed to this world, that word world, what he's talking about is this world we live in now. We understand that this world is temporary. It's fallen. It's broken. Sin has entered the world. And so we experience grief and loss and death. And Paul is saying, don't be conformed to this world. We know that there's another world coming. And that world is free from the ails of this world. Amen? And Paul is saying, remember that. This world is temporary. Don't be conformed by this world. I saw an article this week on Business Insider that said the average person in the world spends 20 minutes on Facebook a day. In America, that average is higher. 40 minutes a day is what we average spending on Facebook. 280 minutes a week, 1,200 minutes a month, 14,600 minutes a year. Comes out to about 10 days. I don't, some people don't even get 10 days of vacation from work. And we're spending 10 days on Facebook, 40 minutes at a time. This week, CNBC had an article on Facebook celebrating its anniversary. It's 12 years old or something like this. Facebook has 1.6 billion users. 1.6 billion users across the globe. And at 20 minutes a day, the world average, over the last seven years, people have spent a collective 55 million years on Facebook. At 20 20 minutes a day, if we paid every person $7.25 per hour, each person loses out on $880 a year. Yeah, I can float that. But when you cross 1.6 billion people, it it totals up to $1.4 trillion. 
If we paid you to be on Facebook, that's a $1.4 trillion conglomeration. You're not into Facebook? How about making a murder? You think he did it? Stephen Avery, is he guilty? Is he innocent, right? No, not your thing. How about the Bengals loss? Oh, don't go there, right? Too soon. Too soon. Why did it hurt so much? Because we're invested. We're invested. We've been following the team for 16, 18 weeks for Pac-Man to go ruin the game. That's why it hurt. We're invested in these things. You're crazy if you don't think that how you spend your time is shaping your mind. We're invested in this world. And Paul is telling us the exact opposite. Don't be conformed to this world. So if we shouldn't be conformed to this world, then what should we do? Paul says, do not be conformed to this temporary broken world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This word transformed is metamorpho. We get our word metamorphosis. And so all week long, I've been thinking about a butterfly, right? The butterfly goes, the caterpillar goes into the cocoon, sleeps for a while, comes out a beautiful butterfly. This word literally means to change form. You go in looking like one thing, you come out looking like something else. Think about what Paul is saying. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God is literally, listen to what I'm saying. Run it up the flagpole, right? God is literally going to change you. I can't say this strong enough, guys. I'm about to jump over this thing. God is going to change you if you do this the way Paul is telling us to do this. You struggle. We're we're fallen. Our bodies are broken. God can change that if you submit yourself to what he's called us to do. Be transformed. This isn't some kind of self-improvement. Pull yourself... Paul's not, you know, through the Bible saying, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. When one door closes, another one opens. That's not what he's saying. He's saying there's real hope and there's real change in Christ Jesus. This is real submission to a big God who loves you and who has a plan for you. Will you trust him and will you follow his ways so that you might be changed? That's one of the things I tell my counselees. I'm I'm privileged and honored to work with you, but you have to come here and be willing to change because God will challenge you in ways that you do not like and he will show you things about yourself that you never knew. Are you willing to change? Are you willing to let your old ways go and be transformed? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Just a few books over from Romans to the right. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. This idea of renewing your mind is really, really, really important in what Paul is saying. So I want us to understand it very well. What does renewing your mind look like? Colossians 3, verse 1. If, you have been, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Here it comes. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is how you do that. How do I set my mind on things above and not on things below? Here it goes. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. You, believer, you put to death these things. He's not saying wait till these things are are made dead in your life. You put these things to death. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Do not lie to one another. And he continues. Turn the page. If you have a small Bible like I do, go to verse 12. 
put on then. So here are the things we already, Paul's telling us, put off these things. And if you're going to put something off, put something back on. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Do we understand the picture? Here is what Paul is saying in our life happens. Anger, malice, covetousness. I don't know about you, but that comes pretty naturally to me. Right? Paul is saying, take that and put it away and instead put on patience, put on kindness. I have an analogy that I hope will be helpful. Does anybody like showering? Yeah? All right, good. So what is the process of taking a shower, okay? You come into the restroom, your clothes are dirty, your body's dirty, so you take them off. Then you come in and you shower and you wash all that off, right? And then you come over here and you get out of the shower and you dry yourself off with a towel, right? And then you put your new clothes on. How does that make sense of this? You walk around in life, you experience life in the world. People, feelings, emotions, frustrations. You have all these things. And what is Paul telling you to do? He's telling you to put those off. So you come into the shower and you you get rid of these things. You know what they are. You brought them in here and now you have to get rid of them. And now that you've gotten rid of them, you get out of the shower, you're clean. What are you going to put on? Those old clothes? No. Put on new clothes. Put on godly clothes, right? So thank you, Pastor Peter, for that analogy because I think it's really helpful. And I think it's very poignant to see that. You don't want to go back to what you came in with. You need something new. Another way to understand this, as cliche as it is, remember around the year 2000, everybody had the bracelets? What'd they say? What would Jesus do? As cliche as that is in 2016, how helpful is that? This is what renewing your mind is. I feel really angry right now. What would Jesus do? Option A, yell at my wife. Option B, show her grace. I'm going to choose grace by the power of God. This is mind renewal. Sounds simple, right? But man, I feel really angry right now. That's big. (laughs) Those feelings and emotions that we charge things with, they're heavy. But literally, what would Jesus do is the way the person who who is renewing their mind thinks. I have a testimony here of a guy here in our church. This is what he said about this passage. He says, I grew up with a mom. This guy's in about, he's in his 40s. I grew up with a mom who lived a life of fear that I didn't understand while I was growing up. All I knew was that she seemed to be scared of everything. Much to my shame, I even made fun of her at times for being afraid. Now in my adult life, I look back and I see that I wasn't much different from my mom after all. As an adult, I developed various fears Fears of water, like deep swimming pools, heights, driving, various other things. I just shrugged these things off. I didn't think they were really a problem. But 12 years ago, my world was changed by an anxiety attack. The first attack was short, but it caused me to live in fear of another attack every day for the next 12 years. I tried to pretend that I was living normal life by going to work, going to church, going to the store, but I wasn't. I limited how far I would drive, I didn't like being without my wife, and I was struggling in my role as a husband and a dad. But I would tell myself, it's it's just hard. It's not sinful, right? My old church didn't think so. Anxiety was just an accepted norm. I was put on pills that I became addicted to and stayed in my sheltered world. Then God did a wonderful thing. He had me laid off from my job. That job had suffered because of my anxiety. And then a few years later, we moved to Kentucky. We found Grace Fellowship on the internet. It blew us away from the get-go. They preached that God's word was sufficient for my trials. My wife and I went to counseling training that fall. And it was there that I came to terms with my sin. Anxiety was my sin. Listen to this. Being safe was my idol. His words, not mine. It was only through the teaching of Pastor Brad and others at the counseling training that I finally confessed that I was sinning. The Word of God says, don't fear, many times. I had always thought, that's a nice idea, but my situation is harder than that. 
I was so wrong. God doesn't just tell us, do not fear, but he gives us what we need to be able to do that. My wife and I enrolled in counseling here at Grace, and I was taught how to use God's truth to renew my mind and trust God. Romans 12, 2 exhorts us not to follow the patterns of this world. For me, that was to crumble, to fear, and to despair. Instead, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Don't follow the world's thinking. That was where I had to change. That was where I learned that I could trust God. Once I actually started trusting God instead of my feelings, I could actually hear the fearful thoughts in my head. I was then able to refute them with the word of God. These two verses were vital to that because God's amazing grace, I started going places by myself again. I never thought I'd be able to do that. I was freed from my addiction to Xanax. My days are no longer full of fear, but full of faith and hope in the Lord. Amen. I still have doubt here and there, but believing that God is sovereign, that nothing slips through his hands, has allowed me to say that I have been freed. Now I see that the word of God is sufficient for all of my cares. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. This is what mind renewal looks like, guys. Your body, God made us like him. We have feelings and emotions and we experience things in this life. Never for a second do I want you to think that's wrong. That you feel angry is not wrong. That you feel scared is not wrong. These are good things that God built into our bodies. Where we go wrong is where we listen to those things. And we don't think about them as Jesus would think about them. We don't renew our minds. And we just give in to our impulses and our feelings. Paul finishes verse 2 by saying this. Don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. What? When you live this way, you can know exactly what God wants from you. Exactly what God wants from you. So, just to kind of help us without going too far off the road, there, I, I kind of broke it down to three categories of God's will, okay? There are things that we can never know. They're just, when is Jesus coming back? You can't know that, okay? Um, there are things that we, do, that we do know that he's given us here in his word. We know for sure this is what God wants from us. This is God's will. And then there are things that we will come to know, but we don't know now, right? So the young guy, am I ever going to get married? God knows, and we'll know one day, but you don't know now, okay? I think too often what we've done when we think about God's will is we've gone looking for those things that we, don't, we aren't entitled to know yet. I'm wondering if I'm going to be married before I'm obeying what God has already told me here. Look at, your, look at your outline. Number three. There's some verses there. Let's go through these verses real quick. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. So what does he say? But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Don't chase those things. God is telling you here, don't chase those things. Chase the kingdom. Those things will be added to you. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. You ever wonder what the will of God is for your life? Paul told you. Your sanctification. What does that mean? That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, in the passion, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles. Let's look at First Peter number 4 there. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. The Bible is replete with sayings like this. This is the will of God for your life. How are you doing with that? How many of these, this is the will of God for you, are you being obedient to? Because when you're living by the power of the Spirit, sacrificing your body, renewing your mind, you can do these things. You can abstain from sexual immorality. You can return good for evil. 
you're not renewing your mind and you're not living with the mindset that you're going to sacrifice yourself, you can't do these things. It's impossible. Why would you return good for evil? That's not what, our, that's not what the Spirit of the age tells us. You need the power of the Spirit to be able to do those things. I want to end, I want to wrap up with these four lies at the, at the end of your outline. I hope Paul's message is clear this morning. Renew your minds. See yourself as a living sacrifice. That is your worship. Fight the fight in your mind so that you can know what God wants from you. I have found, I took one from kind of each part of these two verses, these four lies that people believe. And I want to help us fight these lies from these verses today. The first one, I'm not good enough to be able to change. I was so grateful for your sermon a couple weeks ago, Peter, because there is no type. There is no mold that we need to fit before God can use us. And this goes, this applies here too. You don't need to say, if I could just not drink for a week, then I'll go to counseling. If I could just not get angry at my wife, then I'll ask for help. That's not what Paul is telling us here. What is the qualifier that Paul used? The beginning of verse 1. By the mercies of God. Not by the strength of your own will. Not by your experience. If you have God's spirit, if you know the mercies of God, you can change. God can change you. You can be transformed. Don't let the lies that come into our minds that say, I have to be good enough before God will help me, reign in your, in your heart. Do not believe the lie. If you know the mercies of God, you can be transformed. Amen? Lie number two, I can't control my blank. It just happens. This is more common than you, th- you might think it would be. What is it for you? I can't control my anger my bitterness, my frustration. It just happens. I don't know how I got here. I see red. Another way this is said is that's just how I am. How about this one? That's how I was raised. That's what I learned from my dad. Why is that a lie? Because Paul is telling us to offer our bodies. I think there's something really profound when he says offer your body. I think he's acknowledging that we feel and we experience real things. And he's saying, give that to God. At the end of chapter 7, he goes through this whole discourse, right? I don't do the things that I want to do, and I, and I lack the ability, and I can't do the things that I want to. And at the end, he says, woe is me. Woe is me. He says, I see a battle in myself that my heart and my mind want to do the good thing, but my body doesn't. That's chapter 7. Now here in chapter 12, he says, remember that body? Crucify that thing, man. doesn't matter what your dad taught you. If you have that spirit, offer it to God. Take that body and lay it down and say, God, you are more powerful than these impulses that my body is telling me. Youthful lust is a hard thing to fight. But if this verse is true, then when your mind is set on doing God's will, you can fight it. You can fight it. Lie number three. If I just keep praying, God will blank. Emphasis being just. If I just keep praying, God will change their heart. God will fix this problem. God will, how about this one? Give me a peace about it. Whew. Why is this wrong? Paul doesn't say in this verse, offer your bodies a living sacrifice and sit around and wait till God changes it. He says, renew your mind. You, believer, go renew your mind. A phrase that's often associated with this lie is let go and let God, right? If you're interested in views of sanctification, this is the Keswick view of sanctification. It's wrong. And if you've lived in this mindset for any, any length of time, I want to challenge you with this thought. 
There is no power in prayer. Huh? He was good up to this point, right? <laughs> listen, to this, listen to these prayers. Zach and Colby Roanhorse were the first gay couple to get married in Kent County, Michigan. They're professing Christians. This is what they said. Colby recounted, oh, excuse me, it is oftentimes, it is oftentimes thought, as a dichot- thought of as a dichotomy that you can't be gay and Christian at the same time, Colby says. God takes precedence in both of our lives, and so trying to reconcile homosexuality and the engagement in the homosexual community, with, which seem to compromise our beliefs in redemption and in God's salvation, is something that we'd struggled with our entire lives. Kobe recounted this moment when he was sitting in the prayer room on campus at their college, asking God to show him what he should do. And he said he felt the Holy Spirit come upon him. It was a feeling I can't explain. I can't explain the intense peace and the reassurance. It was only in the Holy Spirit that I felt it. It was just as intoxicating and fulfilling. It was just intoxicating and fulfilling, and I knew that I was not in the wrong. I was just simply trying to show who I am. Went into the prayer room, found peace from the Spirit, he says. That being gay and Christian is okay in the Lord's eyes. Prayer, right? You guys are looking at me crazy. Did he pray? Yes, he offered his prayer. How about this prayer? Oh Allah, send grace and honor on Muhammad and on the family of true believers of Muhammad just as you sent grace and honor on Abraham. Is that a prayer? Yeah. How about this prayer from the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster? A real organization. Our one creator, which flies and is spaghetti and a monster, I believe thou art the creator of goodness and nourishment and of my sustenance. I thank the pasta and the sauce and the meatballs, for they provide me all my needs. Amen. <laughs> The Italian in the group says amen. (laughs) Are those prayers? So what do we say about that? Is prayer powerful? Doesn't look like it. So why do we pray? Because the God to whom you pray is powerful. There is no power in the practice of praying. There is power in the God to whom you pray. That is where the power comes from. And if you're just praying, I just spent 45 minutes trying to show you how that God that you're praying to saying, God, just change it, has already told you, go renew your mind. Don't sit there waiting for God to do something that he has already showed us how to do. He's given us his spirit. By God's grace, you're at a church that values showing you how to do this. If you've been struggling, please don't hesitate. Don't wait another day. Ask for help. Don't believe the lie that if you just sit back, God will change it. It's a lie. And you will struggle with it for many days to come. The last one. I don't want to make the wrong choice. I don't want to be outside of God's will. We already saw that God has told us what his will is. So what about these other areas that hopefully one day we'll know? Turn to Psalm, chapter 37. For the people working in children's group that are hopefully going to hear this on recording, I apologize for running over time. We're almost done. Chapter 37, verse 1 through 5. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Here's the verse. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. What is the will of God for your life in these areas that is not clear in scripture? Do whatever you want. When you, dis- when you delight yourself in God, when your desire is to honor him with everything you do, you're not going to be outside of his will. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord and trust in him. He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light 
and your justice is the noonday. You don't have to fear, guys. You don't have to fear. If, you're, if your goal, if your aim in life is to honor God with everything you do, follow what he's telling you to do. There is no wrong choice in that place. Let's end in Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 12. Paul says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You work it out, beloved. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You're not doing this on your own, guys. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. This thinking is radical because it goes against everything that your body is going to tell you to do. It goes against everything that this world is going to value and tell you to do. But if you want to be in God's will, if you want to know that you're on his team, offer your body as a living sacrifice. And the way you do that is by renewing your mind. Don't go through this life just being a victim, just being an observer of the things that are happening in your life. God can change you. God is ready to change you. And the things that Paul is going to say in the following verses, they cannot be done if you're not renewing your mind. Amen? Let's pray. Father, you are good to us, Lord. Thank you for being patient. So often, man, we just mess up over and over and over. But you love us, Lord, like a, like a father, <laughs> like a father. You love us, and you're patient with us as your children. Give us the bravery, give us the zeal for your mercies that Paul is appealing to here to reach out. We want to honor you with our lives. We want to honor you with our thoughts and actions, Lord. We thank you for this morning and for this church that values your word, that values seeing people changed because of your truth. Be with us. Remind us of these things throughout the week, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.